We're so glad that you've tuned in to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Lily Griesheimer, and I'm the women's pastor here at Rolling Hills. In today's podcast, we're kicking off our new series, A Beautiful Life, a study in 1 John. As we head into this series, we'll be navigating through the idea of legacy and how the book of 1 John represents the importance of leaving a legacy of love as a Christ follower. We're so excited for part one of this series. Now here's Nick. Good morning. I think that's one of the prettiest bumper videos we've ever made. Like just the sweetest and the one that we're gonna remember the most as we, as we kind of look back over the, the, the timeline of what your life is and, and what you remember the most and what, what you find the most fascinating about the story that God's written in you and through you. you. You've heard the expression that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And basically what that means is that we get to determine for ourselves what we think is attractive, that we get to determine for ourselves what we think is good and valuable. And, and you know that it changes based on societal pressures. Like some, in some ways, society determines for us and, and and tells us what is good, what is attractive, what is, what's good to look at, what's, what's supposed to be pleasing for us. And it changes from generation to generation. Like a long time ago, the thing that was deemed good or valuable or nice or lovely or, or worthy is probably different than what it is today. And, and the older I get, the more I'm in tune with the fact that older generations look back on younger generations with a little bit of disdain because we think they have poor taste. What's that kind of music you kids are listening to these days? Like, and we just don't think it has, it's just noise. And I used to be on the side of the age spectrum where I thought, you guys up there in the older generations, you don't know what you're talking about. This is great music, that mess that you guys used to listen to. And then I'm doing the same thing. Like I'm enjoying my era. Like I do kind of perceive that my era of everything is better than everybody else's era of everything. Those who came before me and those who came after me. And that's just my personal preference because beauty and preference and all the things that we like are in the eye of the beholder. And we can have a generational snobbery, like, right? But looking back on others and saying, my generation is the best and y'all just don't know what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden I saw this meme and it was a really good reminder for us that we do that. All the older generations are looking at the millennials and thinking that they're just morons and don't understand anything and don't know what's good or valuable. And then I saw this. Yes, from a millennial, but who covered up all the beautiful hardwood floors with carpet, Karen, right? Because that's what happened. And you look back at this other generation and you see their choices and realize that, hey, maybe we didn't know what we were talking about either. The idea of beauty may be in the eye of the beholder, but, but <laughs> vocabulary belongs to the author. Like, Vocabulary belongs to the author and identifying what is beautiful or, or what constitutes a beautiful life starts, it's in your notes this morning, with defining what beauty is. Micah 6.8 says this, he has shown you, because there's so many different passages of scripture that we could go to. Micah 6.8 says this, that God has shown us what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You see, it's ultimately scripture that defines for us what's good what's beautiful, what's valuable. And as we look back on, on our past and our history and however long of a history you have, to be able to denote the things that have mattered in your life are the things that are determined by God. He defines beauty, 
He authors truth. He gets to determine what's good and what's right and what's pure. It's ultimately not up to us. I will find ways to continue to work St. Augustine and this quote into every opportunity that I have to teach, probably until you guys begin repeating it back to me. If we accept and if we trust only what we like about this word and reject and disbelieve the things that we don't like about this word, it's not the word that we believe but ourselves. We're putting ourselves in the seat of authority of what's good, what's right, what's beautiful, what's valuable, when ultimately that seat belongs to God. This morning and for this series, we land in the book of the Bible called 1 John, and it's the first of three letters that the apostle or the disciple John wrote to the early church. In AD 27, he was called by Jesus to be one of his disciples. Approximately AD 27, he was fishing on the side of the lake, mending his nets and taking care of business with his brother James. They were the sons of Zebedee and fishing was the family business. And Mark chapter one and the other gospels too tell us that Jesus came by and called them to drop their nets and leave everything behind and come and follow Jesus. Well, John became one of those disciples and ultimately one of that inner circle, those inner core of three disciples that ministered with Jesus and spent the most time with him. In fact, we call John the beloved disciple or the basic the best friend disciple of Jesus. He walked with him all three of those years, watched as he was crucified on a cross, went to the tomb with Peter to determine that it was empty and that Jesus Christ lived, spent time with him before Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, stood on the hillside and witnessed Jesus Christ going back and then with Peter founded the early church in Jerusalem and ministered, performed miracles in the life of that church for the rest of his life. In AD 70, the the temple was burned and Christians came under intense persecution by the Roman government. And about AD 90, he's an old dude and he sits down to pen his gospel, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that we read over our Easter series. And then ultimately these three letters. Now the letters themselves don't say with divinity who the author is, but all of early church historians, Arrhenius, Tertullian, Clement, Origen, they all say that John the disciple wrote the Gospel of John, these three letters, and ultimately the book of Revelation that you read at the end of your Bible. These three letters appear right before that. You've got 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. And so if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you're gonna wanna turn to 1st John. We're gonna go through the first chapter together, and it's a short one, it's only 10 verses. And I'll read it now. It says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Identify the senses in that verse. Seen, heard, touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. Identify the senses, what we saw, what we heard, what we touched. So we've heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. My Bible says light and darkness, sin and forgiveness. And right before verse five, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That idea of darkness in this passage of scripture is all the difficulty that they faced in life, all the persecution that they came in at the hand of the Roman government, all of the persecution that they came from the Jewish council who did not believe in Jesus Christ at this moment, all the difficult trials and circumstances, the the poverty, the persecution, all of the hardships darkness in life, and yet 
in Christ. There's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship, verse six, with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Mic drop. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and the chance to be in this place and the chance to hear your word. And not just the chance to hear it, but to be changed by it and to submit our lives to the authority of it so that we may be better formed into the image of your son, Jesus, and better represent him out in the world that we live. God, would you change us from the inside out and call us to be a people who define our circumstances and our situations and even our very lives in this world, not by what we perceive, not by what the world tells us, but ultimately by what your word says. May we trust it and may we submit to it. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these blessings. Amen. I may have shared this story with some of you before, but in 2016, scientists discovered something really fascinating in the animal kingdom, something that changed their perceptions about the way that they study and research animals. They encountered humpback whales, these giant sea creatures who were actively going to defend other species of animals from killer orca whales, right? So killer orca whales are like feeding on like sea lions and otters and seals and penguins and all these other kinds of things. And, and, and hump back whales are coming to their defense. And this is, this is remarkable for a couple of different reasons. One, species don't tend to defend other species. It would be natural in the animal kingdom for a humpback whale to defend another humpback whale, particularly a smaller or a younger humpback whale, but it's really unnatural for any species to go to bat for and defend another species of animal like what they observed happening. And the second thing is humpback whales don't have any natural like fighting skills. They don't have any good skills. Like they literally are just big. And so they'll flap around in fights that would last up to seven hours in order to rescue some poor creature from being eaten by a killer whale. And they do it at their own expense. They are injured and they are risked simply because they're willing to go to bat. And science is baffled by this and they can't find any reason in their research that would lead them to understand why humpback whales would do this other than altruism. They're just doing a good, they don't benefit from it in any way. They're literally just doing a good deed. And the reason why science is so baffled is because these humpback whales are going against what their nature is. If you wanna talk to me about what I think a beautiful life is, I think it's when you and I operate against our own nature, our own nature of sin. I think the most beautiful thing in life is this kind of picture of rescue, this kind of picture of salvation. Salvation, rescue, redemption. It's a story that never ever gets old. Something that's old being made new, something that's doomed being redeemed, something that's dead coming back to life. I think John thinks that based on his writing, I think that the best thing that he could ever see, I think the best thing that he could ever perceive, I think the most beautiful thing in his life as he looks back over the history of it is the idea of salvation. There is nothing more beautiful than that because when we're saved, we take on a brand new nature that is not our own. 
And maybe, just maybe, the rest of the world would marvel at the fact that we're different and it's because of Jesus. John knew that the fellowship of the church and their relationships with one another would be essential to the perseverance that Christians would need to combat all of the challenges that they faced in life. If they were gonna remain strong in the middle of those kind of challenges, they needed each other. When Roman persecution was crazy high, when life was difficult, they would need one another to help them act like Jesus. Look back at verse one. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, all those senses, we hear it, we saw it, we looked at it, our hands touched it, they saw the resurrected Jesus. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. That idea of word of life is the word logos and it's the spoken word. It's the idea that in the beginning, John wrote this in his gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That spoken word is what gave all of creation existence. In the very beginning, God spoke spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be humpback whales. And then there were humpback whales. Let there be people. And then there were people. God literally with his spoken word authored everything. And so it's fitting that John begins both his gospel and this letter to the church with the idea of there is nothing outside of the spoken word of God that we might align our lives will. It is of the utmost importance that we trust it. And the reason that we need to be reminded of it is because we are so often prone to trust ourselves and our instincts and our beliefs and our values and our preferences and our positions. If I walk into a room and I say that it's cold, well, that just must mean that you all think it's cold too because why would you not share my prevailing preference? If I watch a movie and I think it's great, then you must all think it's great too because why on earth would we watch the same movie and you not walk away with the same perception about that movie that I did? We are naturally inclined because of our own sin nature to assume that our preferences, this is the best color clearly, or this is the best song clearly, or this is the best style, or that is the prettiest person. We're naturally inclined to want to trust our own perceptions and our own ideas about what's good and what's valuable and ultimately what is right when ultimately what we have to do is trust that God's word and God's word alone is right. We're naturally inclined to trust our own senses. There's a comedian in the 1960s and the 1970s, his name was Flip Wilson, and he had his own variety show, and he was really significant, particularly for that day, because he was the first black person to have a variety show that he was the star of, and he was one of the most famous comedians in America at the time, and he lived a a long life and had a great career spanning decades upon decades, and he said he was famous for a couple of different phrases. One of them was, the devil made me do it. And it was just part of his comedy routine, but people began to wonder, and you've thought this before too, like anytime you ever make a mistake, and you do make mistakes, by the way, anytime you ever mess up, and you do mess up, by the way, so do I, we're likely to say, well, the devil made me do it, because we can off put blame on someone else. So we ask ourselves, is it that our senses deceive us and we just mess up because we're wrong, or does the enemy use our sensibilities against us? It's probably both. There are moments when the devil did make you do it. And there are moments just because of your own nature and your own selfishness and your own predisposition to sin, you screwed up. You messed up. 
There's a passage of scripture in the book of Numbers and it's a phenomenal story. It's in chapter 13. You can go back and read it. The Israelites are wandering around in the wilderness and they know that God has called them to take this promised land. And so God uses Moses to send 12 spies, one from each tribe into the promised land to scout it out, just to, to spy on it and see if it's good. And they came back with this report. It's in Numbers chapter 13, verse 31. The men who had gone up with him said this, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. You know, sometimes your perception is just wrong. Said, we saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim, and they're they're like giants. He said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Sometimes our perceptions are just wrong. They said, and we must have looked the same to them, especially when you assume that your perceptions are the same as other people's. Sometimes it's just your own senses, and they do deceive us. They do deceive us, and sometimes it really is the enemy. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy to his protege these words in chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, opponents must be gently instructed. Now, see, you need to be gently instructed. Notice a minute ago when I told you that you mess up, I used my nice voice and I smiled. You mess up. That's gentle. I'm not coming at you yelling at you. You're messing up. Like, because if we hear it gently, we're more apt to understand it and receive it. That criticism becomes constructive, not destructive. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that, because the whole purpose is that God might change their life, in the hope that God will grant them repentance that leads them to the knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses, that they'll come to and align themselves with his word and escape. Paul writes this, escape from the trap of the devil. Sometimes the devil did make you do it. And sometimes you just chose that all on your own. It's ultimately both. And we look back over the course of our life, there are moments of mess ups, moments where we got out of step with God and his plan for how we live. But this passage of scripture gives us a couple different characteristics of what it means to live a beautiful life so that one day we can look back and say, hey, this is what God intended for me. The first, living a beautiful life, it does mean sharing it with others. It does mean sharing it with others. Look at verse three. It says, we proclaim to you. Like we're literally, like this is what the apostles are doing. Hey, we're telling you about this great life that you can live. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Don't you get excited when you meet new people? And you want to introduce them to all your old people, right? You want to introduce them to the new friend that you just met. You can't, you're so excited because you make this acquaintance and you already know that they are going to have so many things in common. Like you're excited to meet new people and then to share those people with your other people. I get so excited. Like I'm literally thrilled whenever somebody comes here for the very first time. And I'm not going to like make any eye contact, but I know that we have people here today for the very first time. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm super excited about that. But here's the deal. I'm even far more excited when they come back a second time because that means they must have liked it, right? (laughs) Like if they come once, that's great. They probably stumbled in and they found it online and they came because somebody invited them. But if they come back, it means they liked it. And they didn't just like it, they liked you. They didn't just like me or Joel or Monica or anybody else that has to walk up on stage and stand on a platform and do some stuff. They liked you. Like they literally came in this place and realized, okay, that's a, that's a friendly group of people. And it's hard to be friendly in this day and age. It's also really hard to meet new people. Like it's, I understand that it's very hard for you to go up to somebody else that's in this room if you haven't met them before because part of what you're thinking to yourself is, have I met them before? It's kind of hard to tell. Two-thirds of their face is covered up. And so if I walk up to them and 
I say to them, hi, I'm so-and-so, it's nice to meet you. And they say to me, I'm so-and-so, I've known you for 10 years. You're gonna feel bad about that, right? I love it when we, we get to meet new people, but I really love it when they come back because it means they liked it. It means they thought that this was a friendly place. It means they thought that this was a missional place. It means that they thought in some way that it was a God-honoring place, that, that, that they somehow, some way wanted to come back and to be part of. I want them to know this fellowship, but more importantly, I, I want them to know this message. It says in 1, one five, this is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's an author by the name of Edith Wharton, and she says this, there are two ways of spreading light. One, to be the candle, or two, to be the mirror that reflects it. And we're not the candle. Like, we have to know that. Like Jesus said, and it's pretty specific, that he is the light, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're not the light, but we get to be the mirror that reflects it to the rest of the world. And we're a better mirror when there's more of us. Going to Israel last, uh, in 2019, or pre-COVID, or whenever that was, um, I had the opportunity to go to the Holocaust Museum that's in Israel. And it's really a phenomenal experience. And they have in it one section, and there's a single light in the middle of the room, and literally thousands of mirrors, one for every single person that was killed in the Holocaust. And it's that one light that illuminates the whole room because of all the mirrors. It's incredible, and it's a moving experience. There is one light, and we just get to be the mirrors that reflect it to the rest of the world. And we do that by our fellowship. Like when we have a beautiful life, when we live a beautiful life, when we understand where that life comes from, all we want to do is share it. The next thing that you know about beautiful life is the idea that maintaining it, sticking with it, staying the course, it assumes harmony with the truth. It just assumes that this word is true, and no matter what, even when I mess up, I'm gonna eventually submit my life to the authority of it. Verse seven says, if we walk in the light, the light of Jesus, if we're literally living our lives as a mirror, trying to reflect that light as he is in the light, we will first have fellowship with one another. Like our unity and our bond and our enjoyment of one another and the fact that this feels like a friendly family will be because you and I walk with Jesus, you guys have seen or been a part of or heard of a church that just fractured and split down the middle. Like I have a, a story of that in my life. The, the church that I served on staff and came from before I was in Tennessee like 14 years ago um, was a church that literally split in two over the office of the senior pastor and a group of people who didn't like this group of people and a group of people who supported him and a group of people who didn't support him and they literally hurled insults at one another in business meeting after business meeting after business meeting, almost coming to blows over what they wanted for the life of that church and it was disgusting. And I was never ever worried about any of those adults who thought that they knew better. I was never ever worried that one of them wouldn't just get mad, take their toys and go to another place and worship Jesus somewhere else. I was never ever worried that one of those adults that was arguing with one another would somehow say, this word isn't true, I'm never gonna read the Bible and I'm never gonna trust Jesus again. They were acting awful. But I was never worried that they were gonna step away from their belief, even though it wasn't translating in their actions, their belief in Jesus. 
I was terrified for the teenagers because I was the youth pastor. And what I saw on the horizon is a bunch of teens who were looking at adults behaving that way who would eventually say to themselves, if my VBS teacher from when I was in the third grade can behave that way, I want nothing to do with this church and I want nothing to do with Jesus. I was terrified that that younger generation who was coming behind would look at the lack of fellowship and the lack of unity and the lack of Christ-likeness that was going on in the life of that church that was fracturing and splitting down the middle. I was terrified that it wouldn't make them walk away from that church. I was terrified that it would make them walk away from this Christ. You know people like that. You, you know people like that who, who have determined in their lives that they would never ever become a Christian or follow Jesus, not because of something that this says or not because of something that Jesus did or did not do, but ultimately because of the way that other Christians behaved. Ultimately, our desire is to live a life together that is so in line with this truth that we have unbroken fellowship with one another because broken fellowship will deter unbelievers all day long. Maintaining a beautiful life and having incredible influence in this world does mean that we maintain harmony with this word. And when we maintain harmony with this word, we will have unbroken fellowship with one another. Hebrews 2.1 says that we must pay careful attention. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, to what we have experienced with Jesus so that we will not drift away. That word drift in the Greek language is the Greek word parahueo, and it's just fun to say, right? Parahueo, and it literally means to slip your mind. Something doesn't slip your mind if you have a post-it note on your mirror. Something doesn't slip your mind if you have an alarm set on your watch or on your phone. Something doesn't slip your mind if you do it every single day of your life. The stuff that slips your mind is the stuff that you step away from. So we wanna stay close to this word. We wanna stay close to this fellowship so that we don't slowly drift away so that the goodness of this scripture doesn't somehow slip our minds and we forget to live our lives according to what this word says. Living a beautiful life does mean sharing it with other people. It means maintaining a, a harmony with this word of truth and, and, and living a life of submission to this word of truth and it ultimately, beautiful life it's not perfect life it's one marked by forgiveness psalm 32 says blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered that's what we just talked about with easter that's what we just talked about with the idea of jesus dying on the cross being punished and ultimately killed in our place so that his blood could be shed and our sin could be covered Blessed are we, not because we're perfect, but because we are forgiven. This whole idea of us being redeemed, this is whole idea of us being without sin. It says in 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Then it's our perceptions and our senses lies to us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Flip Wilson, he also coined the phrase, what you see is what you get. The devil made me do it. What you see is what you get. What do people see when they look at us? What, what do people see when they look at you? Somebody that's standing in the seat of authority over what you believe and what you say in life? Or somebody that's acting justly, 
loving mercy, walking humbly with God. Somebody that's proud or somebody that's forgiven. Like when people look at us as a body, what I hope they encounter is a friendly group of people who love each other exceedingly well. What I hope they encounter is, is a diversity that's, that goes against even nature. Like I want them to look at this congregation of people and see, see, see white people and black people and Asian people. I, I know already that they see young people. I can like scout around this room and I, I think, Caitlin, you're, you're probably the youngest person in this room, like looking around right now. Like I'm sitting there going like 11, 12 years old. That's awesome. In the first service, it was my 13 year old. She was in here. And I said to that moment, okay, like I can identify the youngest person in this room. I promise I will not try to identify the oldest person in this room. <laughs> because I will get it wrong and somebody will go home offended and that just won't be very nice, but I hope that they encounter a, a diverse group of people, young and old. I know that they encounter a, a diverse group of stories, um, a, a diverse group of backgrounds, a, a diverse group of life experiences, and certainly a diverse group of interests. We don't all have to be the same. We don't have to like the same music. We don't have to wear the same style clothes. We don't have to watch the same shows. We don't have to visit the same restaurants, but we do have to love and live our lives according to the same Bible and the same Jesus. And when we do, it'll create some sort of special love bond between us that the rest of the world looks and just says, well, that doesn't even feel natural. And they'll wonder why. And we'll know that it's because of him. Ultimately, the, the best and most beautiful life is the surrounded life. One day we're gonna look back on it. We'll get to like 80, 90 in our own lives. And, and like John, we'll be writing down some memoirs or some stories so that we won't forget them. And we'll be looking back over 60 years of history, maybe walking with Jesus. If the Lord gives you that long, then you'll be looking back over a life. And it will not be your job that you celebrate the most. It won't be your career. It won't be your achievements. It won't be your education. It won't be your degrees. It won't be your experiences. It won't be the places that you've traveled and the things that you've done. It'll be the people that you loved that matter the most. The, 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 the most beautiful life that you could live is the one that's surrounded by other people, a diversity of people, a, a, a whole, whole artist's array of people who you get to walk alongside, who love you, and who you get to love back. If you go back through 1 John chapter 1 and start underlining words in your Bible, you're going to find the word fellowship four times. And it's the word koinonia in Greek, and it means association. It means community. We call ourselves Rolling Hills Community Church. It means communion. We celebrate communion every series where we take some elements where we are reminded that Jesus Christ died, that Jesus Christ rose, that Jesus Christ offered us forgiveness, and that when he does, we get to be his body, his community of faith out there in the world, shining like stars in the heavens, promoting Christ in everything that we do so that other people can somehow marvel at why we're so different and want to be a part of what's happening here we get to be that kind of koinonia community and you look at that word fellowship and two times in this passage of scripture it's about fellowship with God 
It's about fellowship with our Father. It's about a right relationship. That word koinonia also means intercourse or intimacy. I know that's a little strange, but it's literally the most connected word that we could possibly be with God. And twice, it's talking about our fellowship with Him. The other two times, it's talking about our fellowship with one another. It's talking about our association. It's talking about our community. It's talking about our intimacy. It's talking about our family. What we understand is that without this koinonia, we can't have good this koinonia. And let's be real, if we don't have good this koinonia, we will drift away from good this koinonia. If we don't have fellowship with God, we can't have fellowship with one another. We can't have harmony with one another. And if we don't have fellowship with one another, we will not maintain fellowship with God. We certainly need him to be connected together and we need each other to remain connected to him. Our, our beautiful life that we live every single day, past, present, and, and however long the future is, is ultimately an opportunity to know him and to make him known and then to experience him in our relationships with one another. We're gonna be talking about that this whole series about what it means to live a beautiful life, about what it means to look back and know that it was valuable and that it mattered. We're gonna talk about what it means to live our lives according to this word and this definition of what's good and what's right, what's noble, what's lovely, what's, what's excellent, what's praiseworthy. We're continuing to talk about what it means to avoid our own senses and our own perceptions and certainly what the world makes as its declarations and ultimately trust God's word and submit our lives to God's word and enjoy fellowship with other people who do the same, making a difference in the world that we live. That's the goal and that's my prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to, to be in this place with these people and to open up your word and to examine it, um, to find ways to trust it more and to live our lives under the assumption that you're real and that we need you according to the reality that you love us and that you want to use us. Father, we do pray that we would every day take on a new nature and that that nature would be an anomaly to the world around us, that they would marvel at the way that we love one another and that they would be baffled at the community that we develop. Father, I do pray that as people come and experience this body, that it won't just be the service, it won't just be the elements, it won't just be the music. I know that it will not just be the sermon, but ultimately it'll be the body of people that are around them. And they'll desire to be a part of that community. And ultimately together as this community grows, You'll expand our outreach into the community around us so that more people can come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is, understand better why he came, and experience the fullness of life because he lives. That's our prayer, and it's in the name of Jesus that we make it. Amen.
Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.